right, summer 2009 youth ministry. Apparently we don't have any of you here. You'd be a little excited about that. So act like you're young just for a moment. Cool, huh? All right. Okay. Now just go back to being the old self that you are. Uh, Before we get into God's Word together today, I want to just uh, tell you how excited I am about the uh, small group study that uh, Pastor Brad shared earlier in the service. We spent mega hours uh, reworking through our statement of faith, and uh, we are really happy with how it turned out. And so one of our visions for doing that was that we wanted our doctrinal statement to be a vibrant part of our church. You know, a lot of churches, they have these statements, but nobody's read it in years and nobody really cares. And it's dusty documents somewhere in the back of the church office. And uh, that is not our vision for our church. You know, what we believe is what brings us together. This is not a social club. We're not just here uh, just sort of getting together for whatever reason. We are here because we are united in Christ. And specifically what that means, it is teaching about Christ and salvation and the word. And so uh, what we believe is foundational to uh, who we are as a church, which means that we need to have this as a part of our consciousness. And so uh, one of the things that we will do periodically is to um, take all of our small groups through a teaching series, and that's what we're doing with our doctrinal statement. And I want to just say kudos to Pastor Brad. I know he was here last night. I don't think he's in this service, but um, uh, what a resource that guy is. And that curriculum, I don't know if you could tell, it's like a 150-page thing that he wrote. And it's there's a lot of work that went into it, and we're really excited. And hopefully it will bring... Uh, a depth of understanding and a mutual uh, sort of consciousness of the doctrine of the church that will be enriching to our church and to us individually. So uh, I just am really excited about that. All right, we return now to uh, 1 Corinthians. We're in a series on 1 Corinthians, and we come back to now chapter 8. And chapter 8 deals with this whole area of Christian liberty. And if you're not familiar with what that term means... Christian liberty is speaking of those areas, they're sometimes called gray areas, they are personal lifestyle uh, decisions that Christians make that God has not clearly said, this is what Christians should do. And now in saying that, I'm not at all saying that the Bible does not give us all that we need for life and godliness. It does. However, there are all kinds of things that come up in, in the world that we live in where uh, Christians disagree as to whether or not this is something that a Christian should be involved in. And so in saying that, though, I want to make something else also clear. And that is if you're here and you're sort of new to Christianity or you're checking out Christianity, I don't want you to be confused at all in today's message. We are, we are not concerned about this because we believe that Uh, living a certain way is what earns us salvation with God. The Bible makes it very clear that salvation is utterly by faith, that Christ has done it for us on the cross. And so our, our hope for salvation is entirely on what Christ did. His work is sufficient for salvation. So our concern is not to earn our salvation, our concern as Christians is to show that we are saved, to live out in our life now 
the reality of being followers of Jesus Christ. I might compare it uh, to, uh, contrast it to two different approaches to a child and his family. You would probably be horrified if you thought that your child thought that in order to be a part of your family, he or she had to earn his or her way in. And so he is, or she is trying to live a certain way to earn the family name. Not at all the case. But if that same daughter or son wanted to live a particular way to bring honor to the family name, you would be proud of him, right? One is, one is horrific because it's earning its way in. One is honorable because it is trying to display the reality of being a member of your family. We are God's children by faith. We are not God's children because we have earned our way in. Christ has earned it for us. Now, though, because we bear the name of Christ, we care about the way that we live and we want to please God in everything that we do, which leads then to these areas where we're not exactly sure what God's will is because he didn't specifically tell us. And so good Christians will sometimes come to different conclusions in these areas. And I think this is one of the hardest areas that there is to live out God's command to us that we love one another. I mean, that love one another, that's a tough one, isn't it? And the reason that it's hard to love one another is because, uh, well, there's the book title that I've always liked by John Ortberg entitled, Everyone's Normal until you get to know them. <laughs> right? It's easy to look out and say, oh, I love you. I love you. But if we were to go camping together, it would be a test, wouldn't it? Because now the reality of relationships uh, creates this tension. And, and frankly, we, just, we don't agree on everything. You're not going to meet anybody that you agree with 100%. And probably, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you don't even agree with the you from a few years ago. We don't even agree with, our, agree with ourselves. So how are we ever going to you know, get along if we have to agree on everything to have relationships with one another? It's not going to happen. The Corinthians were having a little war in their church. And the issue in the church at Corinth was... Are you ready for this? Here we go. It was whether or not a Christian could eat meat that previously had been offered in worship at the temple uh, dedicated to Aphrodite, the goddess Aphrodite. Was it appropriate or not? After that meat had been offered there and now sold in the marketplace, was it appropriate for a Christian to buy it, grill it, and eat it? That was the big battle. Now, we know today that this is not an issue in our culture Right now, it's not an issue in our church. And this, I think, is part of the beauty of this, is that we can talk freely about eating idol meat, and nobody's getting their dander up, and we can create a paradigm with idol meat that we can apply to the areas where we do actually have disagreement. So this will be helpful to us. Now, in the church at Corinth, there were people that said, an idol isn't anything, so meat offered to an idol is nothing, therefore I can eat it and it's no problem. So you had that group. There was another group that said, listen, I got saved out of worshiping idols. And the last thing that I want to do is to have anything to do with it at all. And so they said, I am not eating meat that's been offered to an idol. The other group said, let's grill it and let's eat it. Let's have a great time. And they were having this uh, little war within 
the church. Now, I, this is a Christian liberty issue. This is what we're talking about. I want to make something else clear to you, and that is that when we talk about Christian liberty issues, we are not talking about areas of morality. We're not talking about areas that God has made clear what his will is or the application of what he has said his will is. This week I was talking with a woman and she said to me, I'm so glad that you're talking about Christian liberty stuff. She goes, I have this person I've been uh, corresponding with and she's a Christian and she's been writing to me and she's so excited because she's discovered that there are these hotels that offer free breakfast buffets to their guests and she said, and she's discovered that she can go in and eat breakfast and then leave. <laughs> Having not spent the night at the hotel, just going in and do it. And she says to me, she says, and she thinks that's a Christian liberty issue. <laughs> going to a hotel that you have not spent the night and eating the breakfast buffet provided for the guest is not a Christian liberty issue. That is stealing, all right? And God's got one of his top 10 commands that has something to say about that. So be very careful about taking this Christian liberty thing and just applying it willy-nilly to whatever you want to. This is not an excuse for Christian, oh, it's just a Christian liberty issue so we can do what we want. No. We're not talking about areas of morality or the application of moral commands that God has made. We're talking about areas where culture and wisdom and maturity create different opinions on things that God has not necessarily made clear as to whether or not a Christian can participate. Now, last time we talked about this, two weeks ago, we, uh, we talked about the fact that there are four kinds of Christians when it comes to these Christian liberty issues. And uh, Joe Aldrich in his book, Lifestyle Evangelism, uh, has been very helpful with this. And let's just walk through those again. These four kinds of Christians, and it, it doesn't matter what the issue is, we could bring up one issue, this room right now would fall into four categories. You have, first of all, the professional weaker brother. This is the person who does not have freedom of conscience to eat idle meat. They think nobody should ever eat idle meat, and they can't believe anybody's talking about it. This is always wrong. It has always been wrong. It doesn't matter what culture you're in. It is wrong. And if you do it, you are bad. So this is the person who says, you are not a good Christian if you participate. Okay? Professional weaker brother. These are easy to identify in any discussion on these issues. The susceptible weaker brother is not so much worried about everybody else. They're looking at themselves. They are tender on this liberty issue, and they are saying to themselves, I am not a good Christian if I participate. They are easily influenced about it. They are unsure and unsteady, but their conscience does not give them freedom to participate. The third category is the non-participating mature brother. This is the person who says, godly Christians can participate, but I just choose not to. They see somebody, a Christian participating in it. They don't have a drop of judgmentalism in their hearts about it. That's fine. I don't care. Doesn't bother me at all. But for whatever reason, I just simply choose not to. Their conscience is mature on the issue. They just don't participate. And then the last, uh, the last category is participating mature brother. This is the person who says Christians are free to participate, and I am very glad to be one of them. All right? And so they are uh, happy to be involved in it. They have freedom of conscience, 
and they enjoy it. Now, in light of these four, I want to read our text today, which is verses 7 through 13 of chapter 8. And I want you to keep in view these four categories because Paul is not writing to the professional weaker brother. He is talking about the susceptible weaker brother. So when you hear, see weak faith in here, that's the one he's talking about. And when he's talking about the strong, he's not talking about the non-participating mature brother. He's talking about the one who is participating. So uh, two and four are who he's talking about here in chapter eight. So let me read now uh, verses seven through 13. Here we go. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. I want you to remember that little phrase. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, food makes my brother stumble. I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. So Paul here describes a scenario that's going on in the church at Corinth where you have the stronger conscienced uh, brother or sister who is flaunting the fact that they are participating in the eating of the idol meat in front of the susceptible weaker brother whose conscience feels tension now because it says, the conscience says this is wrong, but the stronger brother that they look up to and respect is freely participating in it. And they feel this compulsion to actually go ahead and to eat it because of the strong, in spite of the fact that their conscience says that it is wrong. And we talked about last time that we are not to violate our conscience. Romans 14 makes that clear. Even if our conscience isn't right, don't violate your conscience. And this is what Paul is describing here, is that the weaker brother who then goes ahead under the influence of the strong brother and violates his conscience. This is what he says in verse 7 is the the, 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 Paul means with defiled, and in verse 9, stumbling block, and verse 11, destroyed. There is a problem here. But the problem is not where we would expect Paul to be identifying it. Like if I was the Apostle Paul and was writing this, what I would, I would get to this point and I would say, all right, all you weaker brother, you weak faith people, man up. Get over it. Chill out. Don't get all huffy. And just enjoy it. Go ahead and eat it. Medium rare. Because it would seem that the problem here is the weak faith conscience person whose conscience isn't consistent with God's will on the matter. But that's not at all what Paul does. He does not address anything to the weak. His comments are for the strong. There are some things the strong are not to do. First of all, we see in verse 10 that the strong faith brother is not to brashly flaunt or live out their freedom in front of the weaker brother. 
Again, verse 10. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? In other words, your lifestyle now is being observed by the weaker brother and it is compelling them to do what their conscience doesn't give them freedom to do. So the strong, rather than being discreet with their freedom, are just sort of living it out in, a, in an unloving way in front of their weaker brother. So I got thinking to myself about, like, how would this work in the church? Like, imagine we're, we're at the church at Corinth, okay, and the, and the service is done, and everyone's standing in the church foyer. And I imagine something like this going on. You have two groups of people. You have the strong faith people on one little group clustered together. You know how people do that in the commons. They sort of cluster together. Hi. Stand in a circle. You don't do that? You know what I'm talking about? Nod your head or I'm going to make all of you stand in a circle right now. All right? Of course, you look out, there are people clustered together, they're talking. So imagine that you've got two little clusters of people. You have the strong faith cluster and then you have the weak faith cluster. So the strong faith cluster, they're together, and, and, and the one guy said, oh, Frank, wasn't that great Friday night? Wasn't that, oh, I tell you, there is no steak like at that temple. Wow, was that good. We had a gift card. Uh, it was great. And, oh, was that ever a great, great steak. You and Lois going next Friday night? Because we'd love to join you. It'd be awesome. So they're having this little idle eating meat discussion over here. Talking loudly, flamboyant. Well, then you go to the other group. And now here's the weaker faith little cluster. And in the weaker faith cluster, you have the professional weaker brothers. And you also have some susceptible weaker brothers. Well, it's always the professional weaker brother who's talking. And he says, oh, look at them over there. Reveling in their idle meat eating sin. Can you believe that? Look at them over there. The pastor needs to do something about this. Because that's the solution to all problems in the church, by the way. (laughs) Is that the pastor needs to do something about this. And that guy's wife is standing next to him, and she's got the same look in her eyes. She's like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm. They weren't raised right. And I'm here to tell you right now, our kids are not playing with their kids. Because... There's no way to tell. They may have leftovers in the fridge, and for lunch they may feed some of that pagan idol meat to our little Jimmy, and that's just not going to be allowable. And so they're going on like this. Okay, so the professional weaker brothers, they're weighing in with their, and that sort of thing. Next to them is the susceptible weaker brothers. And this is who Paul is talking about. There they are, and... They, they may be new Christians, they maybe not have been taught on the subject, they, who knows why their conscience is w- the way that it is. But they feel attention now, because they hear this person in front of them very strongly condemning, but they look over and they see the stronger brother, who secretly in their heart, they admire the stronger brother, see them as being godly and spiritual, and yet they're free to do it. And they feel this tension with what they should do. And the problem in this, beyond the judgmental spirit of the professional weaker brother, is that the strong, knowing that this is an area of struggle for others in the church, are flamboyantly flaunting 
the freedom that they have to eat idle meat. And this is what Paul is saying must not happen. They are not being discreet about it. They are being unloving in the way that they are just saying, this is what we do and you all deal with it. The strong are wrong in their attitude. He goes on to say that the strong are not to urge by word or example what the the weak to do, what their conscience does not allow them to do. Don't do that. Have enough wisdom to realize that these are areas where there's struggle and there's tension and the strong need to be strong enough to limit their freedom or be discreet in the expression of it so that they are not creating problems for the weak. Now, in saying that, I want to avoid something. Because you might listen to this and think somehow that strong, conscienced Christianity is the problem. That is not at all the case. In fact, we all should want to be the strong faith, strong conscienced Christians, not the weak faith. Like if you listen to that story and you're like, oh, you know who I'd like to be in that story? I'd like to be the person sitting there and going, oh, those bad people. That's who I'd like to be. Okay, you have serious problems, all right, that go well beyond this message and like a year of counseling, okay? Because that we are not to admire that the, the weak conscienced person. We should all want to be strong conscience, which means that our conscience is as close as we can be to what God's will is. Because Paul has said, God doesn't care about idle meat. He doesn't care. You're no more godly if you eat it and no more godly if you don't. So it doesn't matter to God. And therefore, if it doesn't matter to God, I would say it probably shouldn't matter to us. Don't you think? In fact... Well, side note, when I find myself caring a lot about something that God hadn't even talked about, I'm probably out of whack somehow. I am making something that is not that important way more important than God does. Because I would let God's importance criteria be the, be the judge of, and determiner of what I should really care about. I didn't say that very well, but do you get what I'm saying? Let me just rephrase it this way. If God doesn't care about it, we probably shouldn't care about it. And I've always sort of thought that there's enough to care about in what he has said about what we need to do. I mean, that just that's like hard enough to not add on other things that God doesn't care about. But I'm digressing in saying that and getting away from my notes and time is fleeting. So, but there's a lot to say on that point that I want to say. Because how often, okay, look out, (laughs) look out, here's what happens, here's what happens, weak faith Christianity or weak conscience Christianity gravitates towards legalism because in legalism, they not only are affirmed in their weak conscience, they are told they are more spiritual because of it. And so when you get a lot of people like that together and they have the opportunity to just sort of go off on their weak faith particular issue, it creates this spirituality that is not at all close to what God cares about. That's what I'm saying. All right. Where was I? 
Ah, this is actually probably my favorite point in the whole message. Another fear that I have in talking about this is that there, there is another kind of bondage that can happen as you talk about this. There is a, did you know there's a kind of freedom that is actually a bondage in this? Let me explain what I mean by that and give you a scenario. And some of you cannot relate to this. Some of you can. Uh, maybe we could have an interesting discussion afterwards. But let's just talk about a, 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 this happens a lot, a scenario where you have a Christian home. And in that Christian home are a mom and a dad or a mom or a dad or however you want to do it. And the child grows up in that home. The mom and the dad, sincere as the day is long, but are weak, conscience Christians in some particular categories of personal lifestyle for a Christian. And they're that way because some pastor told them or their parents were, who knows why, but there is in their conscience and in their conviction, there is some positions that are more preference than biblically supportable. But the kid doesn't know that. This is what mom and dad said. So the kid grows up and becomes an adult, begins to think through the lifestyle Christian things from an adult perspective now, and begins to realize that some of what mom and dad said was great, but some of that was there, like, mom, where's the verse for that? Oh, we don't know, but this is the way we are. Now, the child, thinking as an adult, has an epiphany. Mom and dad were not right on this. We, we can eat idol meat. And God doesn't care. This is like uh, the greatest moment of their life, you know. And they now have this sort of spirit about them where they're like, Mom and Dad, you were wrong. You're wrong on that. And God has anointed me to be the one to point that out to you. (laughs) And what oftentimes happens is this. The individual discovers a freedom in some area that heretofore they did not think that they had freedom in. And now this area of freedom becomes the biggest and most important thing to them. Now when they, you know, the, the son goes out to eat with mom and dad, he, I am ordering off the idle meat section of the menu. And there they sit at the meal and, and, he, and he's like cutting this, this, the idle meat steak. And he goes, I'm eating idle meat. Mm. I'm closer to God now because I just ate that. That's right. I am free to eat idle meat. He becomes like all about idle meat. He looks for churches where they allow idle meat eating to take place. This is the measure of a godly church is whether or not they eat idle meat. And he flaunts it. He flaunts it. And now... He is enslaved to his freedom, much like his parents were enslaved to their lack of freedom. And all it's the same problem. He has gone to the other side. And now he is making this way more important than God. God doesn't care. But sometimes when people who have been in weak faith come now to a strong faith position, they care a lot about it. 
way more than they should. We, I, I, we will see this sometimes in people that maybe come to Bethel Church. We try not to be a legalistic church. We're not into that. We want to focus on Christ and, and love in spite of differences and all the rest. But sometimes people come here and they sort of discover this freedom at Bethel. They're like, oh, breath of fresh air. I love it here. You know, and they begin to look back at their previous church or their previous pastors or whatever it is. And they're like, oh, they, they don't got it. I have found it, you know, that kind of thing. And there's an attitude that works its way in that actually becomes a bondage. And the reason that this is the case is that in God's thinking, in fact, I think God's looking down at the boy, you know, the son with, at the meal and going, you know what? I don't care about idle food, but that attitude has got to go, right? Why? Here's why. Romans 14 says this. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Jesus did not come and die on the cross so that we can eat idle meat. He came to redeem us. He came to save us. He came to reconcile us with God. And now his kingdom is not about these things. His kingdom is about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And the real measure of maturity is not when you find your freedom. It is when your freedom is such that you don't care about it anymore. If you care, if you care a lot that you don't, you care too much. If you care a lot that you do, you care too much. That thing has been too important to you. On my door in my office, I have this quote as a reminder to me in these areas. It's by Harold Best. I had better be certain that whatever I am doing has a direct connection to truth. I had better be sure that the supreme worth of Jesus is my starting, continuing, and ending value. I had better be sure that my freedom in Christ is not of my own manufacture. For if it is, I am still a legalist. I have simply moved from negative legalism, I don't do this, therefore I'm okay, to affirmative legalism, I can do this, therefore I'm okay. Friends, these issues, they come and they go. Pastor Gary told me, if you know Pastor Gary, he's been in ministry like 40 years or or 400, I can't remember which it is, but a long time. And Pastor Gary told me after the message two weeks ago, he says, you know what, Steve? The issues that were issues when I started, they're not even issues anymore. All the issues have changed in 40 years. And guess what? 40 years from now, whatever's an issue now, it'll be different again. You go to the East Coast, and, and the Christians there have their own set of lists and things and all the rest. You go to the West Coast, it's a whole different thing. I remember when I moved from the Midwest uh, to go to seminary in Phoenix, Arizona, I remember opening the bulletin and seeing some of the things in the bulletin that they were promoting and being a part of. They was like, oh, what? I was coming at it from, I was young, young. So much more mature now. Uh, but it's all different. You go to Africa, there are, things, there are things that they would laugh about here that we care about. that are not even issues there. And there are things there that they care about that we probably would laugh about. And Europe and all, culture and, and all, there's so many influences on these kind of things in the church. Which is why we need to see these things for what they really are. Real spirituality is not so much 
about these gray area outward lifestyle choices. Real godliness gets beyond the whole, I'm godly because I do, I'm godly because I don't. It gets to what would be best for my brother or sister. And the reason that is what matters is because that is love. Love is way more important than eating idle meat. Love is way more important than liberty and the expression of the liberty that I may feel. Love for my brother is missional living. It is kingdom of God living. And that's what Paul is aiming at here. So what are the strong to do? Okay, first of all, realize what is at stake. Look at verse 11. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. There's a key word. The brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against who? Christ. You know, these stakes are way higher than we even begin to realize. What is really at stake is not stake. (laughs) I could probably work that a little better even. What is at stake is not stake. What is at stake is the gospel and the church displaying that in their relationships with one another. When a strong person's actions cause a weaker brother's conscience to be violated, the stronger conscience person is not living out the gospel. In fact, here it says he is wounding his conscience and the word there literally means battered. The stronger brother is taking a club to the weaker that's what the word means battering it he's not loving he's not loving he is he is causing a stumbling block let me i want to define stumbling block because if you don't get this this could uh, this is another thing that could be easily misconstrued let me make something clear the stumbling block here is when the weaker brother influenced by the stronger brother actually does the thing that his conscience says is wrong. And I say that because I want to I want to guard against in our church a spirit where weaker brothers can manipulate anything that they want by merely saying I'm offended by that. I'm offended by that. Professional weaker brothers are offended by everything. And they go to war about everything. That's manipulation. And I don't want our church to be held hostage to one person being offended by something. What is in view here is the susceptible, weaker brother who is influenced to do and actually does what his conscience does not give him freedom to do if you know it's impossible to live an offense-free life impossible you live for jesus you're going to offend people jesus offended people regularly pharisees all the time oh it's offensive to me jesus didn't really care so much so we're not aiming at that but what we are looking for is loving the susceptible weaker brother now paul points out what is really at stake in verse 11 When a stronger conscience brother lives out and flaunts his freedom in a way that influences the weaker brother, he needs to realize that he is sinning against somebody that Christ has died for. Christ loves the weaker faith Christian. Loves him. Christ died for him. 
And I think that that would probably radically change the way that we relate to one another if we simply grappled with that truth. That every person, every Christian in the church, the ones that we like and agree with, the ones that we don't like and don't agree with, they are all objects of Christ's love. Like imagine if Jesus himself showed up right here, right now, and said, see this woman right here? I want everybody here. I want everybody in this church to know that I love her. I love her. And in my love, I gave my life for her. Now, how would we treat her differently? Well, she'd be like a rock star around here. Hey, that's the woman that Jesus said he loved and gave himself for. Right there, that's her, right? Because that'd be pretty cool to have Jesus show up and say, see this one, this one right here, object of my tenderness and affection, right here. But Paul is saying, every Christian in the church is an object of the eternal love of Christ displayed in the cross. Therefore, treat them accordingly. Not just the people you agree with, but even the ones that you don't. Why? Because Christ loves them and Christ died for them. What a difference that would make. I thought about in this, and I don't have time, but I thought about walking around the auditorium, sort of like freaking you out and saying, seen this woman right here? In fact, maybe I'll do that. <laughs> Let's just do that a second. Sometimes these illustrations are the one that you remember. You see this woman right here? Right here? Christ loves her. See this guy right here? He's a little older. Uh, Christ has had longer years to love him. This, is, this man is an object of the love of Jesus Christ. Who's going who's gonna to treat him nice on the way out here? Anybody want to shake his hand? Anybody want to sort of give him some love? Why? Because Christ, Christ loves him. See this, see this dear woman here? Right here? You might walk past her on your hustle to get out of here. Like, oh, let's go get, the, we got to get out and get to the restaurant or whatever it is. You're walking by somebody that Christ gave his life for. Right here. Anybody want to sort of talk to her and see what she's about and hear God's story and grace in her life? You see, it changes it, doesn't it? And if you're a Christian here today, let me encourage you. You are too. All right? You are too. But if we all walk out of here saying, who's going who's gonna to love me because I'm an object of God's grace? You're missing the point. This is not, this is not uh, self-focused. This is how we look at the people around us and treat them and love them enough to not do the thing I have liberty to do because I do not want them to stumble. I don't want to batter their conscience. I want to love them. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 40, if you've done it to the least of these, my brothers, you have done it to me. And that's what he says here. When we sin against our brother, we're actually sinning against Christ. Treat them accordingly. And then, uh, and I've already kind of said this point, but love your brother enough to limit your freedom for his sake. Paul says in verse 13, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I'll never eat meat. Now, is he a closet vegetarian, so it was no big sacrifice to him? I don't think so. It's not like me saying, I'll never, I'll never eat liver and onions again. 
I don't like liver and onions. That's no sacrifice to me. I'd be happy if I never ate liver and onions again the rest of my life. I'd rather think Paul enjoyed meat. But he enjoyed loving his brother more than he enjoyed the flavor of meat in his mouth. So therefore, it was no big sacrifice for him to love and to limit his freedom. Romans 15, verse 1, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. And that's the thing in these areas. You know, you might, you might come across somebody who has some particular thing that's sort of their issue. And you might think it's the silliest issue that you've ever heard in your life. And they invite you over to their house and, and you're just like, oh, we got to say yes. But they're so... Just love them. Just, you know, if they, if they only wear purple in the house, that's their rule. Wear your Minnesota Vikings shirt. Most of you don't have one, but go buy one and then wear it. And just, in some ways, it's like, chill out, okay? Chill out. Be unified together. All right, just in conclusion now, how to know whether to enjoy liberty, or freedom, conscience, or to limit it? How can I know whether I should do this or not. Here's the first thing. Am I convinced in my mind? Okay, if you're here wondering, "Ah, can I eat idle meat? Are you convinced in your mind that this is completely acceptable to God? If you wonder about that, don't do it. Don't eat the meat. But if you're convinced that it's totally acceptable to God, that's step number one. Step number two, can I glorify God in the eating of it? Paul ends his his discussion here in chapter 10 with a famous verse Whether you eat or whether you drink, do it all to the glory of God. If you cannot do this to the glory of God, don't do it. Don't do it. Third, if this is a disputable matter, and you know it's a disputable matter. This is one of these rub points in the church and with your friends or whatever. Will my participating in this be known to a weaker brother who is likely to be influenced to do it? If that answer is yes, then don't do it. Don't do it. Steak's not worth it. Now, the question here is not whether a weaker brother will ever know. The question is, will this lead the susceptible brother to do the thing that his conscience isn't ready to do? And I would say on this point, listen, if you are a leader in the church, we bear, I think, an extra responsibility with this because our position in leadership means that we are we're more influential on people's thinking about things. Like if, let's just say after the service right now, we're in the back and and I I go to some of you, hey, you know what? We got time to get over to the Hampton Inn and catch the breakfast buffet. Anybody want to go with me? You would stand there and you might think to yourself, I don't think that's right, going to that breakfast buffet and not paying for it. But it is Pastor Steve. And if he thinks it's okay, honey, maybe we should go. I mean, why? Not because of me, but because leadership carries influence with it, right? And so if you are an elder or a deacon or a small group leader, if you are a parent 
You are likely raising weak faith conscience children in your home. And there are things that you may be free to do, but you think are wise not to do for the sake of your children. Lots of application to that. Here's the last question. Heart check. Okay, it comes down to the heart level. Do I think that I am more spiritual because I do this certain thing? If I think that, something's wrong in my thinking. And will I respond graciously if somebody asks me about why I am participating in it? Because if I'm all defensive, who are you to ask me? I can't believe that you would ask me. You know what? I got a heart problem. I got a heart problem. So be careful about that. But here's the thing now. If the answer to one and two is yes, if the answer to number three is no, if the answer to number four is, is appropriate, guess what? Eat the idle meat. Savor it. A1 sauce on it. Just love it. Here's why. Galatians 5, 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And God has placed us in this world where there are all kinds of great things that he has provided for our enjoyment. We are not ascetics. We are not, we're not monks here where to be godly, we got to deny ourselves. No, theology of beauty kicks in here where we are, God has given these things to us to enjoy. So enjoy it. First Timothy 4, 4, for everything God created by, everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. And that's the kind of robust creation Christians that we want to be here in our church. And to live in this world that God has placed us. To enjoy it and to love it. But to be willing, if for the kingdom's sake, to limit that freedom for the sake of my brother. Because I love him or her more than I love my idol meat. Are you with me? All right. Now, there's more to say, and we're going to get into it more next week because we get into chapter 9, and uh, Paul basically is going to go biographical and say, listen, this is exactly the way that I live my life. So we'll see that. We're also going to talk about, if I know that I am a weak, conscienced Christian in a particular area, how can I become a strong, conscienced Christian? You know, you can change your conscience, and Lord willing, all of our consciences are changing and conforming more and more to God's morality as he is revealed in his word and so we will talk about that beginning in first corinthians 9 next week